Hello and welcome to the post-Super Bowl X's and O's with Greg Cosell. That guy over there looking very natty today on a Wednesday is the great Greg Cosell of NFL Films and ESPN's NFL Matchup. I am Doug Farrar, of course, from Touchdown Wire and the USA Today Sports Media Group. Uh, Greg, we actually got to do the pod, uh, the video slash pod in person last week. That was fun. Might do it at the Combine. We'll see. But we're back in our uh, – well, you're back at NFL Films in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. I'm back in my office. And uh, we usually look forward, of course, and we're, we want to discuss Super Bowl 58. So not not so much concepts as a series of moments here. And I wanted to start with Steve Spagnolo's man blitz plan. And stat services are different. You and I have different numbers here, but it's kind of close. The Chiefs blitzed on 27 of their defensive snaps in this game. They played zone on four of those snaps and man on 23. And Right. You only do that if you are highly confident in the ability of your defensive backs to not only press and jam receivers at the line of scrimmage, which is a spag staple, but also to plaster those receivers all over the field. Um, the one play I wanted to get to, the Chiefs ran a zero blitz with 7.04 left in the second quarter, down three to nothing. Niners actually blocked the six-man pressure up very well with Willie Gay as the fifth rusher from the left defensive edge and Nick Bolton on the right side as the sixth rusher. It was six-on-six six with Kittle as the in the formation because McCaffrey released from the backfield on play action into a choice route, while Legereus Need had Juwan Jennings to the right offensive side on the dig route, and Trent McDuffie had Debo Samuel up the numbers on the other side. Pretty had time to scan those possibilities. Both receivers were locked down. Purdy had two practical choices, get McCaffrey on the choice or hit Ayuk on the flat route to the left side out of motion, which probably would have gone for about the same result, six yards, because Shamari Connor was manned up on Ayuk, and Ayuk didn't look like he was going to get very far after the catch. I want to point that play out of many because this is a fascinating example to me, Greg, of how much Spags trusts his defensive backs to shut things down in coverage concepts that would normally favor the offense and would normally favor the offense to an extreme degree if the quarterback is left clean. Well, I mean, Spags has always been a believer in, in number one press. He does not want to give receivers free access into routes. No. What was particularly interesting in the in when you play the 49ers is the 49ers are a very high percentage offense in terms of cut splits or reduced splits where the wide receivers are very close to the formation. They play more of those than any other team. Yeah, and, and it's very hard. Normally, normally teams don't press that. Normally what teams do is have their corners play off with width and depth. Um, but Spags did not necessarily take that approach. He took the approach that we're essentially going to be a press man defense much of the game. They played a reasonably high percentage of cover one, which is man coverage with a single high safety. They played meaningful snaps of two-man coverage, um, which they play extremely well. Um, and that's where you have two deep safeties and man-to-man on the five eligible receivers. They And they played a really an ordinately high number of snaps of what we call zero coverage, where there was no deep safety in the middle of the field and they're not necessarily matching up and press all across the board but they're matching up now some of that is kind of a zone match depending on how the routes play out but the point is there's no deep safety and they're rushing six so you know they clearly came into this game with the idea that we're going to play man coverage and we're going to pressure Mm -hmm. you know if you really wanted to look at the one sort of foundational 
philosophy of, of Steve Spagnuolo's defense against the 49ers, oh, you'd say that it was pressure and man coverage. Mm -hmm. Yes. And they got really creative out of zero. We're going to talk about this play, the, the McDuffie deflection uh, with two minutes left in the fourth quarter, where they had a dollar out of cover zero. I don't think I've ever seen that before. No, and it was the only snap in the game, and, and dollar means seven defensive backs. Different people right. have different terms for that. Um, I call it dollar. Um, but that was the only play with seven defensive backs, and I believe they had two linebackers on the field as well. So it, it, it was two you know linebackers, what? two defensive linemen, and seven defensive backs. Let's get into that play right now. So this is McDuffie's third down pressure with two minutes left in the fourth quarter. Fascinating play because the Chiefs were in dollar personnel, seven defensive backs. Jones and Carl Aftis were the only defensive linemen on the field. Bolton and Gay as the third and fourth guys at the line. McDuffie came through clean on the defensive right side with Trent Williams taking Carl Aftis and Aaron Banks taking Bolton. McDuffie affected the quick, quick slant to Ayuk on third and five from the Kansas City 35-yard line. Cover zero blitz in which Kittle took the protection to the other side because Shamari Connor was the more obvious threat as a blitzer. McDuffie was a little further off. Uh, he was a more pertinent blitz threat aligned to Jones' well, shoulder. But the 49ers had motioned McCaffrey out to a choice route pre-snap. Originally, he was on Purdy's other side. Yeah, I mean, uh, let's walk through it a little bit here. Um, yeah. McCaffrey shifted. It was not a motion. He shifted okay. out of the backfield to kind of a split wing alignment. And that left Kittle in the backfield offset to the same side as McCaffrey. Mm -hmm. Now, it was clear that the the offensive center Brendel, because Purdy is not involved in in in, in blitz assignments at all. The, the That's an important delineation to make. He doesn't make the protection calls. Purdy doesn't. He does make not those. make the protection right. calls. That is correct. The O line does. So the 49ers O line identified Connor, who was to the side of Kittle and McCaffrey as the fifth rusher. So right. that means the offensive line was going to deal with Connor. Yeah. Um, Kittle then stayed to that side, and he ended up with no one to block. So, again, we don't know. It's very possible that the, the 49ers could have thought that that there was going to be a slot blitz from that side as well. Because, look, we know with, with Spags that you're going to get blitzes from either side. But what happened on that particular play is McDuffie from the other side, the side opposite Kittle and McDuffie and Connor. Opposite Connor, McDuffie came. And because Kittle stayed and did not scan and cross the formation, McDuffie was clean through the that opposite B gap, and he got his hand on, on Purdy's slant throw to Jennings, resulting in the incompletion. Now, you know, this, this has been debated quite a bit on social media, and none of us know the answer for sure because Shanahan is not going to tell us. But, um, you know, they obviously did not – pick up McDuffie he got in clean I thought Purdy should have gone to Ayuk on the slant from the slot and then McDuffie's pressure would not have been a factor but again that's just watching the tape with a clicker and looking at it you know 20 times um, but if he had gone to Ayuk on the slant from the slot that it would not have been he, they would have beaten the pressure and they would have gotten a first down because it was third and five right uh, speaking of pressure <clears throat> I want to get into um my my header here is Chris Jones MVP. Uh, I got to talk to Eli Manning for about 15 minutes last Friday uh, at, in Vegas, and we spent like half the time talking about Spags' defensive plan in Super Bowl 42, where, of course, they beat the 
uh, heretofore undefeated Patriots. And we talked a little bit about Justin Tuck, and it, it could have been argued that in the two Super Bowls where the Giants beat the Patriots, Eli was the MVP and Tuck could have been. I think Jones could have been the MVP in this one and in uh, 54, but I digress. But my point is, and we discussed this this morning, the uh, there's a discussion to be had about the volume of pressures versus the impact of pressures. Nick Bosa had 12 pressures in that game. Right. He played his ass off. No one's going right. to do that. Chris Jones had six. But if you look at the season in total, I mean, that's pretty good. He had five games this season with more pressures. But he had three pressures in which he, it could be credibly argued, prevented touchdowns. Uh, the first one came on the first play of the second quarter. This is the play we discussed for other reasons. Debo ran that deep wheel to the left side outside the numbers with McDuffie plastered on him. Kind of, it, I don't know if they'd call that a switch release. Ayuk taking Jerry Sneed inside. Jones got in, forced Purdy off his spot. Now, to Purdy's credit, he re- reset well and made a good throw to Samuel in the end zone. And that's where McDuffie made that ridiculous play on the ball. But that's one touchdown that Jones helped to prevent. Yeah, I mean, that play, um, uh, Jones beat the Lothgard Banks. Purdy showed great pocket movement there. He slid and he climbed. He and really he did. Samuel on the deep post off short burst motion because um, he, he was initially in the slot, and that's why McDuffie was on him because they played cover one, man coverage. So they were in cover one. So when, when Samuel went in short burst motion, McDuffie simply followed him as his man coverage defender, um, and he ran the deep post, and, and McDuffie uh, – made an excellent play on the ball. He, he ran with him and made a great play on the ball. Um, but yeah, Jones obviously won uh, beating Banks, but Purdy showed great puck and movement on that play. So Jones ended up not necessarily being f- a factor on that play. Right. That was that was a McDuffie play. The second touchdown Jones may or may not have prevented came with 14-14 left in the fourth quarter. Niners ran our favorite concept, four strong. Purdy wanted to hit Samuel in the end zone from the Kansas City 22-yard line, but Jones got through uh, right guard Spencer Burford, and Purdy had to hurry his throw. Um, I don't know if you have any comments on that one. Yeah, I'm trying to remember that specific play. That was uh, that was early in the fourth? Uh, 14-14 left in the fourth quarter. Um well, yeah, you, we can we can move on to the third. Yeah, third I don't remember play. that one specifically. Yeah, San Francisco's last offensive play was seven twenty nine left in overtime. We obviously all remember that one. Yeah, Prote- yeah, all yeah. Shanahan said about it after the game was it was a protection bust. I'm not getting into what. Yeah, and, and we, can get, into what, we can get into that. We can get right. into that one. I mean, but this is a, a, a protection bust where Jones got through clean. Pretty had to hurry his throw once again. Um, and I know you had some thoughts on what happened there. Yeah, I mean. You know, you're dealing with with um, um, the fact there were a number of things that happened on this. I mean, it was third and four, third and four in the low red zone, less than eight minutes remaining in OT. Um, you know, my sense watching the play based on the the Chiefs were in a diamond front, meaning they had five across. So when there's five across, pretty much what happens is the five offensive linemen are responsible for the five across because there are five first level defensive players. It doesn't matter what their numbers are. They're all on the first level. They're on the defensive front. Um, Can I bust in and ask you one quick question? Is diamond different than bear? Yes. Bear is more specific to 
how the the players are aligned. The three techs on the guards' outside shoulders. Yeah, Dying yeah. A, a, a bare front speaks more to the fact that you have two three techniques with your defensive tackles and a zero technique with with you know a, a nose, so to speak. Right. Whereas a diamond front is simply five, you know, five defensive linemen okay. uh, or five lined up as five defensive linemen. It doesn't have to be in a specific bare front. Gotcha. Um, okay. But normally, when there's five defensive linemen or five across like that, the offensive line will take all five because it just becomes one-on-one in protection. Now, what the Niners did is they actually had McCaffrey in motion off jet action because they felt that that would eat up Michael Dana um, to the side of the jet action, and it did eat up Michael Dana. So he got kind of removed as a pass rusher. Um, Looking at the entire offensive line and how they, they chose to block it, my sense was the right guard Burford, who had to play 44 snaps in the game due to injuries to Feliciano, who was the starting right guard. My sense was that Burford was the one who made the mistake because he ended up blocking down in the A-gap when I don't believe he should have, and therefore he left Jones free. So yes, while Jones made an impact on the play, Jones became unblocked. It's not as if he did anything right. special. Yeah, that, by the way, was one of nine unblocked pressures the uh, Chiefs had, which was their season high. Uh, so I want to get to uh, – and I've had Spags on there. By the way, uh, as we're doing this, about two hours ago, the Chiefs announced that they have given Spags a contract extension, which is probably the easiest money that franchise has ever spent. Um, Spags is nickel stuff. The Chiefs had 78 defensive snaps in this game. They played nickel on 38 of them. I didn't really expect that. I thought they might go with a lot more base because their linebackers are so versatile. It's been a primary construct of Spags' defensive season. And San Francisco's run game was ostensibly such a threat. But against those nickel defenses, Greg, Christian McCaffrey ran 10 times for 38 yards. The best running back in this game against nickel was Mahomes, who gained 59 yards on six carries against the Niners nickel defense. Um, so just your thought. I, I, I mean, I believe, you know, he could trust his linebackers and defensive backs to cap the fronts to stop any outside flow. And he knew he had the blocking assignments up front with his defensive linemen. Um, so just your thoughts on, were you surprised at all that, didn't, that they didn't run more base? And how did you think they held up with that nickel stuff? Yeah, I mean, they held up well. Look, the 49ers are a base personnel offense for the most part. The 49ers had 38 snaps of 21 personnel, okay, where Juszczyk was on the field. 38 snaps. That was 54% of their offensive snaps. That's a high number. So the Chiefs were in base defense with four defensive backs on 21 of those 38 snaps. They were nick on the other 17. Now, I don't remember every down and distance. I'm sure some were in longer yardage type situations, but of course, some would have been on first down as well. Um, you know, I think they felt that their defensive line, and it did play out this way for a good part of the game, I think they felt that their defensive line was simply better than the overall 49ers all line. We know Trent Williams is a really good player, maybe one of the best ever. We know Banks is a solid player. Brendel's a nice center. But the right side of the Chiefs, uh, excuse me, of the 49ers O-line is not very good. And that was Feliciano, who ended up getting hurt in Burford, the backup. Obviously, they don't feel he's as good or he wouldn't be the backup. So, yeah. so, uh, and then McKivitz on the right side, you know, struggles. And he certainly struggles in pass pro, one-on-one yeah. pass pro. So yes. I think they felt that they just had a personnel advantage up front. Speaking of injuries, I wanted to get into the what I call the Greenlaw myth. 
Greenlaw, Dre Greenlaw, the Niners linebacker, obviously went out early in the game. And there is a common sort of intellectual construct that really negatively affected um, what what Steve Wilkes was able to do. And you had some very strong feelings about that. So I'll just, I'll give the floor to you. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, when a, when a really good player goes out and gets replaced by a player that's not as good, you know, obviously the better player is not playing. But if you're going to say that that dramatically changed the game, then you need, in my opinion, to show me examples of that rather than just say that a guy who's not as good as the other player, you know, changes the game. Of course it changes the game, but how? We don't know the answer to that, or I certainly don't. Some do. The the 49ers may, the Chiefs may, you know, people who are actually, you know, involved in, in, in maybe play calling or design. But at that point, you're not you can't change anything dramatically. You're in the middle of the Super Bowl. It right. started the fourth possession is when he ran out and you know he tore his Achilles. Okay. It's the most bizarre injury. I know. So it started the fourth possession. Yeah. Um Burks replaced him in the nickel, and Flanagan Fowles was the third linebacker in the base four three. Now Flanagan Fowles ended up playing Greenlaw's position in the base defense. Well, there, there were a couple of run plays where I thought that if Greenlaw was in, it, they might have played out differently. Um, but again, you'd have to speak to specific plays, and you just don't know the answer to that. Um, well, Burks was targeted four times that I caught, and none of those plays were like, oh, my God, that it was, it was mostly short stuff. And, but we also don't know if Greenlaw would have been targeted on those same exactly, plays. You exactly. don't know that. Right. So, you know, that that – that's just an easy thing to say that that is a no-brainer. That's like saying two and two is four. Of course, Greenlaw is a better player than Burks. He's a better player than Flanagan Foles. We know that. Okay, Th- then what? You know, right. you have to you have to give me specific examples of how you think that impacted the game. Uh, Brock, my header for this part of the <laughs> my notes, Brock Purdy wasn't the problem. It was more about Spags. Per next-gen stats, Purdy completed 12 of 19 attempts against the Blitz for 131 yards and a touchdown while getting sacked once in the Super Bowl. Yeah. The Chiefs defense blitzed on 51.2% of their dropbacks, their fourth-highest rate in a game under Spags. The Chiefs defense generated a season-high nine unblocked pressures, all of which came on blitzes. So that's kind of what Purdy was dealing with. And I want to get to one throw because the two things you and I have talked about for months with Purdy is two superpowers – uh, diagnosing late coverage movement and throwing those in breakers before the receiver stems the route. So the throw he made to Juwan Jennings with 546 left in the fourth quarter showed those two things exactly. Chiefs were in cover two. Jennings ran that 15-yard in cut outside left. Of Are you bump. talking about the 23-yarder? Yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah, that was that, that was cover two. That was outside left a bunch. Shanahan staple. She showed single high pre snap. McDuffie dropped as the other deep defender, which was kind of cool. Along with Mike Edwards, Purdy had no issue making that throw, especially when Ayuk took Justin Reed up the middle to kind of clear it out. Well, it was dagger. Yeah, it was, it was a dagger concept with with an inside vertical da- yeah. and an outside dig. It was, it dagger. was dagger. So yeah. you know, I see throws like that, and I'm like, well, he he played like Brock Purdy. The other way he played like Brock Purdy, you mentioned the slant Purdy missed to Ayuk with 13.26 left in the fourth quarter. Debo ran that short crosser underneath the slant, and it looked like Purdy had his eyes on Debo all the way. It was cover two. McDuffie matched Samuel across really well, broke it up. Sneed was playing Ayuk off, and Ayuk would have, as you said, I watched the play after reading your notes, and he was open on that slant cut. And you mentioned that Purdy had kind of a rough third quarter. Do you want to kind of expand on that? 
Yeah, I thought the third quarter was a little tough for him. He didn't see things clearly. I thought he was a little too reactive to some pressure concepts. Um, he was a little hesitant. He, there were some late throws, some poor reads. You mentioned one that I thought was really critical. Yeah. When if he had hit Ayuk on the slant instead of going to Samuel on the inside shallow, I mean, Ayuk certainly – that was a long yardage play, as I recall. Um, and, it, you know – I don't know if it would have gotten a first down, but he certainly would have put them in field goal range, and they ended up having to punt on that series. But, yeah, it wasn't um, completely open to the other side of the slant, but there was certainly more room than McDuffie just clamping down on Debo. Yeah, oh no, the slant was was wide open because I think it was Sneed, and, and he was playing off. He was playing off. He was playing kind of a bail look a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, again, I thought, you know, without knowing every single detail, I thought that that, that – throw was there and he didn't make it he he chose to go to Samuel so you know to me he didn't quite see because he was reading the same side of the field so for whatever reason I, I don't know why he didn't throw it to Ayuk because Ayuk was wide open yeah um and this is another sort of public referendum you know <laughs> we mentioned last week and you said it and I thought it was funny like this game is going to decide whether Purdy is a good quarterback or not which of course is hilarious but how do you feel he played overall like what what's your sort of if you were to get not a grade but just your I would say game. overall he played a solid game yeah. um you know he had the rough third quarter he did not turn the ball over um he did not get sacked a lot i mean you know look given the amount of pressure that that Spags put on, um, which is not just for him. It's obviously attacking protections and attacking a very weak right side of the 49ers O-line. So it wasn't, hey, let's go attack Purdy, you know. Um, but when you have nine unblocked pressures in your face, that's hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I thought overall he played solid. And don't forget, he came back in the fourth quarter and in the overtime and made some really good plays, really good throws, some good reads. Um you know, if we said going into this game that Patrick Mahomes would have more turnovers than Brock Purdy, my guess is most people would think that the 49ers would win the game, but obviously it didn't play out that way. You could argue, well, I would argue that the 49ers were actually sort of outplayed in each of their three playoff games, and it was Purdy who in each of those games in the fourth quarter, he sort of ramped it up, you know, overtime, ramped it up. That's, you know, so... Um, it, I want to switch to the other quarterback, obviously. The... You mentioned that Mahomes' deep pass to Nicole Hardman never should have been thrown. This is 13-0 no. left in the second quarter. Hardman ran it looked like a corner post. Mahomes threw the ball after Hardman had passed Jair Brown and Tayshawn Gibson Sr. I have no idea what Gibson was looking back at there. But are you saying that he never should have thrown that ball, period, or that he never should have thrown the ball that late? I don't think he should have thrown the ball. I okay. mean, that ball should have been an easy interception for Tayshawn Gibson. It should um, have been. Somehow he lost awareness of both the receiver and the ball. Um, I, I don't know why, only he could tell you that. But he was in perfect position to intercept that ball, and he just had no idea, again, ab about Hardman or the ball. So, uh, it, yeah, that, that ball should not have been thrown. That was, that was not a good read by, uh, by Mahomes. Do you think maybe if he, because, you know, if he ran that sort of fake corner before the post, maybe if he throws it there? Because I was looking at it, I'm like, well, maybe if he just doesn't throw it so late before he gets to the safety. Well, if, if memory serves me correctly, it was it was a kind of a mini boot left. So yeah. it, that, that automatically made it later than just a normal drop back sure. because it was boot action left and kind of a throwback element deep. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe they were counting on on the, the boot to, to really hold Gibson, you know, down. But Gibson 
kind of ran deep and it was, he was, yeah, he was like three yards upfield. He doesn't care about the boot at that point. Yeah. He was, he was in perfect position, to intercept the ball and just, you could see, I mean, I even, I, even watching the game, I was in the stadium watching the game live and seeing the play. I'm thinking, God, what was Gibson thinking there? I mean, he was, in some ways, all he had to do was kind of turn around, and and, yeah. and the and the ball would have been thrown right to him. I was in the auxiliary press box, and I saw it live, and I'm like, "Whoa!" And I saw the jumbo trial. I'm like, "Wow, that was weird." But yeah, um, you also mentioned, uh, you know, it, and it it showed up late. Mahomes taking what the defense gave him. First play of the third possession, the Chiefs ran their four strong out of a flood concept with Isaiah Pacheco in the backfield. Niners doubled Kelsey, so Mahomes just threw the ball, the flat route to Pacheco for an easy seven yards. And there was a lot of that in this game where the oh, Chiefs yeah, were fine. Yeah, they were fine with just, okay, we'll take the easy yards. Cool. And that, that comes into another thing. Steve Wilkes has been criticized a lot for, quote-unquote, playing soft at certain times, especially late in the game. So I also wanted to get your thoughts on that. Well, I just want to mention that play you mentioned. It wasn't a pure double on Kelsey. They were playing zone. They were playing cover three. But one of the main staples of the Chiefs is the flood concept. And just so people understand what that is, it's a it's a route. It's a three receiver route concept to one side of the field where there's a vertical route, which is ninety nine point nine percent of the time a clear out route to get the corner out of there. And then there's an intermediate route, and then there's a flat route. Now, almost all the time you're looking for the intermediate route because it makes it a fairly simple read for the quarterback, particularly against zone. So more often than not, what you're reading on that flood concept is the flat defender, okay, in zone. And and the, they played cover three on that play. Um, but both the flat defender, who was Logan Ryan, and the hook defender to that side, who was Burks, the linebacker, they were well aware of this flood tendency and both got eyes on Kelsey so mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily a double they just got eyes on Kelsey okay and I thought this was a, a very simple play that just showed how smart Mahomes is because he read it and immediately threw the check down instead of waiting in the pocket for that extra beat because if you wait for that extra beat then what happens is is they rally up to the ball. Those underneath defenders rally up to the throw, and a seven-yard gain becomes a two- or three-yard gain. But Mahomes read it and immediately threw the check down because he saw that Kelsey, who's almost always the intermediate receiver in their flood concepts, sure. was just not going to be open. So a simple play, seven yards to start a possession, you'll take that every time, was just a really smart, aware play by Patrick Mahomes. Now, when the Chiefs go to four strong with those floods, and we've talked Chiefs four strong until we're blue in the face, and so the what happens then is the flood is there, and the running back goes to that side. The run if the running back takes the flat, Greg, how does that affect the two like the, the two now intermediate guys? How, how are those routes different? The if routes I mean, themselves, I mean, it's well, you're talking about- what the, like, okay, let, let's say if the, the bottom receiver in the flood is taking the flat, but now if it's four strong, the running back is taking the flat. How does that affect the route concept? Well, you're bringing a fourth receiver to that same side of the field, right? So defensively, you're going to, you have to match somewhere along the line because you don't have enough bodies. If you don't match, um, in fact, even normal flood with three, the belief is, and I've had conversations with a number of super smart defensive guys that say that if you don't match flood, you're just going to get your ass burned. Yeah. You know, you got to start <laughs> matching routes. Yeah. 
Pretty you know, you got to start even in zone concepts, you know, this idea of landmark zone, which was, you know, obviously Tony Dungy did that with cover mm-hmm. two back, you know, God, a long time ago. And back then it was, you know, it was kind of new and, and it worked, but you can't do that anymore. Oh, no. You've got to, even in your zone concepts, Doug, and you know this, you've got to match routes. Oh yeah. You've got to pattern I, I've had guys read. call it country cover three and is a, they say, you can't do this anymore. Nope. Yeah. You got, you got a pattern read. You got to match routes, especially yep. when they try to overload your zones. I mean, if, if you don't match routes, then then it's just too easy for for the quarterback because then he's just reading. A, you know, flood. You're you're more ninety nine point nine percent of the time you're reading the flat defender. If he drops with great depth, you're throwing to the flat. If he stays low and covers the flat, you're throwing over the top of him to the um to the intermediate route because the the. the the, the wide receiver with his vertical route has lifted the corner. The corner is gone. So, right. you know, you've got to match routes. And you, that becomes even more important with four strong sure. because in zone, in pure zone, you don't have enough bodies to play four receivers to one side of the field. Nope. And everything old is new again. This all goes back to like Sid Gilman. I feel like we should be wearing bow ties. Yeah, we could start going to San Diego State and then getting a you know geometry and trigonometry lessons, you know, to decide how we build our route concepts. Yep. For people who don't know, uh, in '64, I believe Tom Bass, Sid Gilman sent Tom Bass, one of his coaches, to uh, talk to a maths professor about the geometry of the field, and you know that was which that was we cool. uh, talked about in the games that changed the game. Yes, you did. I believe so. A book everyone should own. Uh, one more thing about uh, Kansas City's passing game: Travis Kelsey's 22-yard reception with 16 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Yeah. This was the play that set the Chiefs up to tie it at 19 to go in overtime. The Chiefs, and and you mentioned this, and I looked at it too, and I'm like, wow, how did they anticipate man here? Because yeah, that was- they got it, cover one Robert, which was unusual because the Niners were generally zone heavy. They, and so they ran mesh, which that's a man beater, with Kelsey and Noah Gray. Kelsey was free across. Warner And now Warner, it looked like, was a step late to Kelsey. And I wonder if he was looking at Jarrett McKinnon in the backfield. Um, and then Shervarius Ward took Gray the other way. And I would love to know, I'd love to be, you know, have a like a fly on the wall. Like, how did you know to spot man there? Because that's just unusual. That that That's what made that play so intriguing to me, Doug. Because, again, with 20 seconds remaining and where they were on the field, maybe that changes the dynamic of how you want to play defense. But it was third and seven. The 49ers are not a high tendency man defense. And on third and seven, they would normally not play man coverage. Uh, but yet the chiefs called a man beater concept. So, so people understand what mesh is, is essentially mirrored shallow crosses, one from each side of the formation. So basically there's a nat- a natural pick or rub element involved. Yep. Okay. It's a man beater. You're, you're trying to pick one of the defensive players running with one of the shallow crosses. It's um, not complicated. It's like Division Three install, first day. It's not complicated. Well, Mesh originally came from the air raid 100 right. years ago, you know, yep. back in the day. But sure. it's, it's a man-beater concept. Yep. Um, so, you know, when I saw that play, and, I, and of course I saw it live too, um, I'm thinking, wow, they called a man-beater on third and seven against a team that doesn't play a ton of man coverage – how did they know? I mean, mm. you know, I, I was fascinated by it. So uh, then they executed it really, really well. Gray did an outstanding job. He really uh, did. The tight end, Gray, getting in Warner's way without touching him. And Warner was was trailing anyway. I don't think his eyes were in the backfield because he was playing man on Kelsey. I just okay. think he got beat off the line and okay. was trailing him. Um, yeah. 
But, I'm, I'm uh, going to automatically assume in my head that Warner doesn't get beat because he's so great, or, or he was. I'm not going to assume he's late because he's so great, but maybe he was. I don't know. Well, no, no. Even, I mean, even the greatest players, make, you know, whatever. Right, and and when when the 49ers went two man coverage or cover one robber, they matched Warner on Kelsey. When right. they played cover one, they matched the safety Gibson on Kelsey because that's what they had done all year in their cover one concepts, which is man with a single high safety. That's the rookie Brown. Gibson was almost always, even when they had Ufanga, Gibson was 99.9% of the time, the matchup on the tight end. And in fact, Kelsey caught a 16 yarder earlier in the second half uh, against Gibson on an outcut where they were just playing cover one. Yeah. I'm a big Gibson fan, but this is not his best game. Um, Overall, I mean, I know that the Chiefs' offense is sloppy in the first half and all that. But one thing I've, I've, like, really, Kurt Warner's mentioned, like, like quarterback experts I really respect have said that Mahomes, as a pre-snap reader and diagnostician this year, has taken a step forward. Is that something that you would agree yeah. with, or something you've perceived? Because, yeah, it, I mean, and then I would hear that and kind of look at it with that point in mind and I'm like yeah actually there you know oh there he is on my tv right now at the parade so there you go no I think Mahomes is a really smart player you know I mentioned that play that that seven yard pass earlier that was obviously post snap but I think Mahomes has really become you know I I mean you could almost argue that that's one of his best traits Mm -hmm. the fact that he he sees things really well pre-snap he sees things really well post-snap um, he understands the game, I think, at a pretty high level. You know, you got to remember a couple things, and people lose sight of this because of what Mahomes has achieved. But Mahomes was so fortunate early in his career. You and I both know he was the 10th pick in the draft. Now, the Chiefs traded up, but people were uncertain when he came out uh, what he would become. Keep in mind, he went to a team that had one of the best offensive minded head coaches in the game a starting quarterback who's incredibly intelligent and therefore he sat for a year a team that had one of the better o lines in in football a team that had Tyree Kill Travis Kelsey i mean big time players so you have to remember he was put into an unbelievably great learning situation i'm not talking about his physical traits now i'm talking about the ability to learn the game and the people around him that allowed him when he did get his opportunity, obviously started the last game of the season, his rookie year, and you started to see some of the traits and then became the full-time starter clearly the next year. But that's an optimum situation for a guy to, and I don't want to say they eased him in because his first year was phenomenal, but there were a lot of things that were really were set up for him to be able to step right in. You know, again, I'm not going to sit here and say he wouldn't be a great player, but how many times have we seen quarterbacks that we love their traits go to teams, you know, with a bad all line, not particularly good um, uh, skill position players, maybe a coach who's a defensive coach and wants to just run the ball, you know, any number of reasons and, and therefore quarterbacks don't develop. He was in an optimum situation and I think it allowed him to reach a, a high level of development really early in his career. Well, I've I've told you the story before. About a month before he was drafted, I got to spend an hour with Mahomes on the phone watching tape, and I sent him a bunch of plays through uh, Lee Steinberg. Right. And, and uh, I, we talked about the Texas game where I think he threw three picks. He could have thrown eight because he was just lobbing the ball down the right. field in ridiculous fashions. And I'm like, you know you can't get away with this because the NFL is not the Big 12. He's like, yeah, I know i got to tamp it down. But 
when we say now people were unsure about Mahomes, people were unsure about Mahomes. There, there was good reason for it. There so, was good right? reason. Oh no, well, that's I remember. Doug, I remember having problem. Yeah, I remember having conversations at the combine uh, with coaches who you'd all we'd all respect, by the way, big time NFL offensive coaches. Sure. Who said that? Um, you know, I love the kid's talent, but you know what? I'm not sure, you know, I spent 16, 17 hours a day putting together my plans, my offense, you know, the whole deal, and I'm not sure he's going to run it. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, that seems like a ridiculous thing to say now, but, you know, you and I both know there's so many reasons why guys develop. There's so many reasons why, you know, guys don't. I mean, it's, you know, once guys become great, it's easy to say, well, they'd become great no matter what. That's easy to say because they're great, you know. It's just like the conversation about Greenlaw. Well, yeah, he's yeah. better than the guys who replaced him, you know. But you know, it, it doesn't always work, and it's worked phenomenally well for Mahomes, uh, probably for a number of reasons. Obviously, the, the 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 player is a large part of that. I think Mahomes is is instinctive. I think he's highly intelligent, um, but he's also been coached exceedingly well. Yeah. Well, I remember Phil Sims, and you probably know this because I'm sure it was on NFL Films where he said it, a video of Phil Sims talking about when he had a pre-draft workout with Bill Walsh. Yeah. And yeah. Um, Phil was saying, okay, Phil, I want you to slow everything down and be more, you know, lithe and loose and just right. you know, kind of rubbery right. and bendy. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure Walsh was impressed with Sims' talent, but when he got Joe Montana – when Walsh got Joe Montana and, and Montana sort of did everything the way Walsh wanted him to. Yeah. So it was that perfect, you know, that perfect click marriage of quarterback and coach. Well, I'll give you a quick story. You know, as you know, I was very fortunate in my career to get to know Bill Walsh pretty well. And he really taught I'm me. Jealous. He taught me the quarterback position. I remember him telling me a story because, you know, in 1976, he was the quarterback coach for the Chargers. Right. And Dan Fouch was very early in his career. It was a, two, a couple of years before Eric Coriel. Mm-hmm. And Fouts was still kind of trying to figure it out, as you well know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember Walsh telling me, he said, you know, I could do some things with Dan Fouts and have him throw some routes that I couldn't do with, with Joe because Joe couldn't throw those routes and Dan could. So think about that. Joe Montana probably considered, let's put Mahomes aside for the moment, but yeah. Joe Montana considered he the first or second best quarterback of all time. And here's Bill Walsh saying, well, there's some routes he couldn't throw, you know, it's it's not automatic that a guy who's great can do every single thing in the world at, at the highest level possible. Right. Well, John Madden, in one of his books, mentioned when he went to visit 49ers practice when Walsh was the head coach, and he was aghast. You, you have a 50-yard practice field. But, well, we Walsh said we don't need a, lo- a longer practice field because we don't make those throws. They didn't just construct the offense around their quarterback, Greg. They constructed the whole bleeping facility. Out of the right. <laughs> that, well, that's how far it can go. Yeah. And yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's it just drives home the point. I mean, it's easy now to say Mahomes would be great under any circumstance. And maybe he would be because I think he's got a very unique feel for the game that, you know, besides great physical traits. And I think that's why guys are great is they have a feel, you know, quarterback, you know, the word instinct is often overused and I think it's overused, but when I talk to coaches and they use it, I know what they mean, particularly when it comes to quarterbacks. Um, And I think that Mahomes has just phenomenal instincts for the position in addition to high level talent. My impression of defensive head coaches is a lot of them are mistake proof on offense as a, just a, a, a tangent. 
because they're they're in, they're so into you know creating mistakes for us. If you got Mahomes with a mistake-proof head coach or a mistake, not fearing, but a mistake-averse head coach, I don't know. I don't, right. I don't know. That would be weird. Anyway, no. that's one of our little tangents. Uh, Greg, it, it is. I've learned so much this this year, and I hope our viewers and listeners have too. It's been awesome to talk ball with you every week. Uh, we're going to take a couple weeks off, and then uh, the whiplash starts all over again with the draft and free agency. We'll, of course, see each other at the Combine in a couple weeks. But, uh, my friend, thanks so much. It's been awesome, and we'll be doing it again very soon. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Doug. This has been great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.